1: You. what are you guys doing come on out and play we never get to see you anymore come on hang out with the guys you get mocked for being a Christian oh you're one of those <laughs> you're one of those born again guys huh <laughs> yeah there's stress when we live under the cross there's stress there when we live under the shadow of the cross we look for it and facing our sin is difficult
0: when we live under the shadow of the cross our sin is ever before our eyes If you picture a shadow, it has two distinct regions, the darkness and the light. That offers a fitting metaphor for what Jesus did. The cross represented our sin, which casts our souls in darkness. But as we'll be reminded by Pastor Dave today, Christ brings light to darkness and offers righteousness to those who trust in him. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 7, as he continues his message, In the Shadow of the Cross.
1: Why is he telling his brothers they belong to the world because they were infected with a terminal disease does anybody know the name of that disease sin they were infected with a terminal disease it's called sin the wages of sin is death they were they had a terminal disease they didn't believe in him the world's system is run by sin so if you're in sin you're going to be accepted by the world The world's gonna love you when you're in sin When you're out of sin and you're different from them, they're going to reject you. They don't want any part of you when you're not part of them, when you're not wanting what they have so they can sell to you or give to you and make themselves feel better. we are different. We need to be different. We need to be shown different. If you act like the world, the world will not reject you. When there's no difference between you and the world, the world will be your best friend. Go back and read 1 John. He has some pretty nasty words to say about those who love the world. Not so nice words. Jesus said, The world hates him. Why? Because he testifies of what's evil. Jesus knew that the religious leaders wanted to kill them. Now, these were religious leaders. These were the leaders who wanted to kill him. Why? Because he exposed their evil works. He exposed their hypocrisy. He exposed their shallowness. And he exposed the emptiness of a system that was futile, a system based on law and the tradition of man to get to God. It was futile. Nobody could obey it. Nobody could follow it. It was a futile system. Futile system, excuse me. Jesus came so that they may have life and life more abundantly. Jesus came so they would have everlasting life. He came to give them that. He came to give them that by a relationship with God the Father through Him. The relationship starts with Him. To get to God the Father, you have to go through Jesus Christ. The religious leaders only wanted to glorify themselves. The religious leaders wanted you to think that they were great because they thought they were great, and you should too. Because they had the law. They were the people that says, do as I say, not as I do. They didn't follow the law, but they wanted you to follow the law, and they put you under the law. Legalism. We have some of that that's ramping around here too. Some people live in legalism. Do this, do that, do this. Meanwhile, their life is a shambles. You're like, what? Legalism. Hypocrisy. Shallowness. He exposed their evil works. He tells the brothers, go to the feast. I'm not yet going to go. I'm not yet going to go. And verse 8, he says, you go up to the feast. I'm not yet going to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Once again, he says, my time has not yet fully come. My time has not yet fully come. It's not time for me to be exposed to them. It's not time for me to show myself strong. It's not time. It doesn't match up with the prophecies. See, Jesus was well aware of all the prophecies. He was fulfilling prophecy time and time and time again. Everything he did fulfilled a prophecy, and he was not going to act before the appointed time. Man's traditions, man's things, he didn't care about them. We see this today. The traditions of men become more important than the Word of God. Well, we've got to do it this way because that's what we've been doing the last 560 years. It doesn't match up with the Word of God. It doesn't matter. we got to do it because we've always done it that way. Or what even drives me more crazy, there's this great book out, and you got to read this book because it's really going to help you. It's the best book out on the market. Really? Did it outsell this one? No, but you got to read this book, man. Excuse me? So we're putting man's writing above the Word of God. I'm sorry, folks. That's wrong thinking. It's absolutely wrong thinking. Anything you may need, anything you're going through, anything you may want to find out about is right here on these pages. Why do we go someplace else? Peter's very words. Lord, to whom shall we go? These are the words of life. These are life-giving words. Jesus says, for my time has not fully come. He walked in the shadow of the cross. It was fast approaching. And we see a beautiful illustration of the divine sovereignty and human responsibility. The father had a plan for the son. And nothing was going to thwart that plan. Jesus didn't tempt the father by rushing to the feast. He didn't lag behind waiting for the father to catch up. He waited for the father's timing. And in verse 9, it says, when he had said all these things, he remained in Galilee. Yes, he remained in Galilee for the time being. But when the time was right, we're going to see next week, he did attend a feast. He did attend a feast. Would somebody tell me why he attended the feast? Oh, come on, scholars. Deuteronomy 16, 16. Deuteronomy 16, 16, three times a year your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. He had to go to the feast because it was the law, and Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. He had to go to the feast. He went up. He went up when the time was right. He wasn't going to go blatantly walk in there. They were wanting to kill him. So he went up in secret. There's a whole bunch of commentaries that say Jesus was fooling the public and lying. He wasn't lying. He wasn't lying. If if you knew all these people wanted to kill you, and you knew for some reason it wasn't time for you to be killed, would you walk into the middle of them? No, Jesus wasn't ready. It wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. Jesus lived in the shadow of the cross. Everything Jesus did, he had a purpose, and the purpose led to the cross. When the time did come, Luke records it in Luke 9, verse 51. Let me read that to you. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. When the time for Jesus to be received up, he made his way to Jerusalem. Dr. Luke uses the word steadfastly. He went steadfastly there. He didn't waver. He went there. Yes, he was going to be received. He was going to be received. You know the story. Palm Sunday. Oh, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's my coat. Here's some palm leaves. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A week later, crucify him kill him, crucify him. Yeah, he was received up, and then he was rejected. Luke records that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He takes his final journey towards Jerusalem with steadfastness, meaning he had resolve. He never wavered, fulfilling what Isaiah said in Isaiah 50, chapter 50, verse 7. For the Lord will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I am not, will not be ashamed. This speaks prophetically of the Messiah. Isaiah is talking about the Messiah who will set his face like a flint to do the will of God. Set his face like a flint. He will steadfastly move. Jesus set his face like a flint. A flint is very, very hard. It's a hard thing that you make a spark with when you're trying to light a fire. It doesn't mean Jesus hardened his face in a nasty, gnarly way. It's just he hardened his resolve. He has focus. Did you ever talk to somebody who was really focused? And you're trying to talk to them, and they're like, Jesus was focused. He was focused on the cross. And nothing was going to keep him from going to the cross. So his face was like a flint, a hard face, looking at the flint. He was looking this way. It's interesting, because our boy Gusick says this thing. There are two kinds of courage. The courage of the moment which requires no previous thought and planned courage, which sees the, uh, the planned courage sees the difficulty ahead and steadfastly marches to it. This is the kind of courage that Jesus had. He saw the cross before him on the horizon, and he steadfastly moved toward it. He steadfastly moved towards that call. He steadfastly set his face for Jerusalem. But Jesus' resolve is going to be tested. He had offers from the world. Satan offered him, lay down before me and worship me, and I'll give you this, I'll give you that. He had offers from Satan. His disciples didn't want him to go. Peter rebuked him for saying he was going to the cross. He could have backed out at any time he wished to. They mocked him. They taunted him. And the sheer stress and agony of knowing you're going to a cross, I can only imagine what goes through people's minds when they're sitting on death row. As they watched the clock tick down, the sheer stress and agony. If you don't think the stress and agony was on Jesus before the cross, read Luke's account. When he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat blood and water. That's how much he was in stress. He knew what awaited him. When we live in the shadow of the cross, we too are tested The world wants to be our friend. The world wants to pull us away. The world says, don't live this way. Live the way we live. There's pleasure here, and everything you ever want is here. Live this way. Have that drink. Smoke that cigarette. Do this line of of Coke. Look at this pornography. Do all these things. Tell that person that lie. Steal that money. Do it our way. You'll have prosperity. You'll have perfectness. The world constantly tempts us. When you're living for the cross, the world is constantly going to tempt you. Your friends, too. What are you doing? Are you in some kind of cult? What's wrong with you? What are you guys doing? Come on out and play. We never get to see you anymore. Come out and hang out with the guys. You get mocked for being a Christian. Oh, you're one of those. You're one of those born-again guys, huh? yeah. There's stress when we live under the cross. There's stress there when we live under the shadow of the cross. We look for it. And facing our sin is difficult. When we live under the shadow of the cross, our sin is ever before our eyes. When we live under the shadow of the cross, the sin is there blatantly staring at us. This is what Jesus did. He fulfilled it perfectly. How did Jesus sustain to be steadfast to the cross? Well, for one thing, his relationship with the Father. He sustained it because he constantly spoke to the Father in prayer. He constantly went to the Father to get built up. He had unshakable confidence in that God knew what he was doing. And God was in control. And he had joy that was set before them. Excuse me, before him. The joy that was set before him. And I honestly believe we're his joy. Because he went to that cross for me. He went to that cross for every one of you. And we were set before him, and he knew He had to accomplish that. We, too, walk in the shadow of the cross. And the cross should ever be before our eyes. It should be ever, ever be there. And how do we sustain that? How do we sustain that and imitate Jesus' resolve? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first God and make sure your relation with God is just the greatest it can possibly be. Seek the Lord with all your strength. Trust in his ability to know that he knows what he's doing. Have confidence in his promises because all his promises are yes and amen. That's how we imitate Jesus' resolve, living under the shadow of the cross. We should have the cross before our eyes ever. We haven't sung this song in a while, but it's a great song. Let me read a couple of verses of it. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love mingled down. Did e'er such love ever meet in sorrow? O thorns compose a rich crown, where the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What do you see when you survey the cross? What do you see when you survey the cross? To some people, it's just a piece of jewelry. Some people, it's just some earrings that we can put on our ears. I'm not coming down on anybody that has a cross on right now, but to some people, that's what it means. To some people, it's just a religious relic. Something that's gnarly and old needs to be taken with out of there. How do you see the cross? When you see the cross, what do you think about? When you survey the wondrous cross, what's on your mind? I can only answer what's on my mind because when I see this across, the first and foremost thing on my mind is my sin. I look at my sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. 1 Peter two twenty four: who himself bore our sins in his own body on that tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. That's what I see when I look in the cross. But if there's a greater reminder of how serious my sin is when I look at the cross, we sang a song. Name just went right out of my mind. There's a, there's a bridge that says, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. We have no fathom, we have no idea what it cost our Lord to die in our stead. To die for you, to die for me on that cross that day. We must live in the shadow of the cross but I don't want to it's hard Dave there's difficulty living in the shadow of the cross my friends don't like me my family doesn't like me all these things have befallen me and I don't know what to do the stress is unbearable I don't think I can do it well you're in good company you're in great company because in Luke 22:42, 42 our Jesus prayed Father if this is your will take this cup away from me I can't do this anymore take it away let's find another way Let's find another way. That's what Jesus was saying. Take this cup away. That's what the fleshly Jesus was saying. Take this cup away. Let's find another way to go. (gasps) Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. But we don't want to think about sin. It invades our privacy. What we want to do is cover it up. We want to justify it. We think we had a right to do what we did. We rationalize our sin. It was okay for me to do that, I had a right. It was my right to do that. We rationalize it. But the purpose of the Bible is to bring men in obedience to the cross. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, gospel of Christ, because of the power of God, to salvation. If sin were all I could see when I surveyed the cross, then I would have a very, very difficult time living. If all I saw on the cross was sin, I would have an extremely difficult time sinning. Excuse me, with my sin. So when I survey the cross, I see the word sin written in blood. I see the word sin blaring at me. Yes, I do. But then I see the hand of God coming down and erasing it. And he washes the sin away. And he replaces sin with another word. L-O-V-E. Love. He replaces sin with love. It's on the cross where I see the depths of God's love for mankind. It's on the cross where I see the depths of his love. I see it clearly. John, in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him, Jesus. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself because he is pure. Oh, oh, love. My sin is replaced by love. My sin has been washed away by God's love. God's beauty, his love for me has washed away my sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for us that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, and those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we must no longer. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. old things have passed, and so behold, all things are new. Look at the cross. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ and what do you see? What do you survey when you look at the cross? Maybe you haven't looked at it that way. Maybe you've seen it today for the first time clearly. None of us really know what happened up there that day. Oh, the scripture tells us, and we have a recollection of what knows, but none of us really know what happened that day. None of us really felt the separation when the father turned away and Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the sin of the world came upon him and God could no longer look upon him. We don't know what he experienced that day. But we do know one thing. Please leave with this. He experienced it for you. He experienced it for me. He experienced it for the entire world. What do you see when you survey the cross? And I challenge you to spend some time and survey the cross and see what it means to you. I challenge you to live in the shadow of the cross and allow it to change your life. Allow the cross to change your life. The cross that meant to kill is our victory. And we are victorious because our Savior chose to go to a cross and He had His eyes set on the cross like a flint and nothing or no one was going to keep Him from His appointed hour. And He did it in resolve. He did it steadfastly. And He did it all according to God's purpose, God's timing, and God's calling on His life and our life. He was obedient to that call unto death. Know that. Know that He died for you. Live in the shadow of the cross. Let the cross dictate everything you do. Let that shadow be always over you, looking at it. We are not under a death sentence anymore because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Death has been lifted. Oh, death, where is thy sting? It has been lifted. But there is a time coming when he will soon return and gather for himself a bride, a pure, chaste bride, Live in the shadow of the cross, please. You are a sure hope.
0: We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on a Sure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab.